Well, hey, everybody, again. Thank you for joining us in prayer. Thanks for joining us in worship. And thanks for giving us a little bit of space for some growing pains, yeah? We are uh, just kind of settling in, um, and we're just kind of learning as we go, but we're so grateful for Freeman Heights and for how God has brought us to this place. And if you'll remember, it was just a couple, um, really just a week and a half, you know, that we found out. We had gone into a meeting with Pastor Larry Venable, uh, ready to just kind of talk about some of the details. We've been used to these things taking a long time, and we were pleasantly surprised when they had cut keys for us, and it was, hey, how's the 4th of July work for you guys? And we said, oh, like a week and a half? Yeah, sure, okay, let's, yeah, okay, let's try it. So we thought the 4th of July, you know, the sooner the better to get here together in the daylight. Uh, out of 7 o'clock is a good thing. And also because you guys are so mobile and adaptable, we knew that you guys would be able to make it. And also we thought because we knew that many of our people were going to be out of town on the 4th, we thought that it would afford us a little quote-unquote soft opening, yes? You know, like a clothing store or a yogurt store. Why did I think of yogurt? Uh, maybe because Bud worked at TCBY years ago. You know, it's easier to do the soft opening. So when things go awry or your microphone's feedback, you just say, hey, hey, it's not a grand opening, it's just a soft opening. It's just soft and ease into it with the faithful few who had no plans for the 4th of July. Just kidding, glad you're here. Hey, would you turn to Psalm 126? Hey, you know what? There's a Bible in the pew in front of you. That's the first time I've been able to say that in a long time here at Providence Community Church. We've been a nomadic church, but God has been faithful all the while. God is with us, and He is delighted in us, and He is showing us how good He is and how to live in such a way that honors His Son, Jesus, as we follow Him. So turn to Psalm 126. It will be on the screen if you're not there already. Why don't you remain seated, but I'd like to read this psalm, and then we'll talk about it for just a few moments. Um, I think what I want to do tonight is look at this psalm, which uh, is in two movements, two chunks. You'll see them here on the screen. And I think I just want to draw out two reminders for us. And so that's what I want to do tonight. Let me read this psalm. We'll break a little bit earlier than usual, and then I think it'd be good since there's just a few of us here tonight anyway. Let's stretch our legs, and if you can hang around for a little bit, um, I'm sure we can take a walk through the property. The AC may not be on everywhere, but let's just kind of have an open house for our new digs. Is that okay? Sound good? I want you guys to check out where our kids will be hanging out to in the ark if you've not been there already. So let's look at this psalm, uh, and then let's, uh, let's break a little bit early this evening. Sound good? I say that, but y'all know me. So let's read this psalm and uh, go from there. Sound good? This is Psalm 126. It's a song of ascents. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion... We were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. 
Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. Father, we're so grateful again. We've talked to you a lot tonight, but we want to talk to you again. And we want to echo the words of this psalm this evening because we have much to be thankful for. And we ask that you would fill us with more and more songs of joy, more and more laughter, more and more life, more and more hope because you are good and your love endures forever. So bless us this evening as we hear from you in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. The Psalms show us how God's people talk to God. God's people, as we know, for centuries and centuries and centuries were who? Israel. Israel. The Jewish folk that God called out of Egypt, delivered and in a mighty way, and said, you are my people and I will be your God. And we have this beautiful book, as you well know, in the middle of our Bible called the Psalms. And they are the prayer book of the Bible. And the Psalms show us how God's people, Israel, talk to God. And that's good news because we see even in our English translations, a lot of times the language is real. It's gritty and it's raw. If you grew up in a church like I did, a lot of times you'd have guys stand up and they'd pray and they'd use all this flowery language like, and thee and thou and thy good pleasure, Lord God, help us, O thee we pray, thou thy. And it didn't really register with me because when I'd come to the Psalms, I'd see things like, help me, God, now, like, help, please, let's go. And then I'd see things like, Lord, you lead me and you guide me. And there's this quiet, beautiful, reverential place. Then there are even places that I struggle to say amen to. And there's this real anger and it says, God, smite these people. My enemies surround me. And while we can't say amen to, Lord, kill so-and-so, we can recognize that there are moments in our lives where we feel surrounded. And the Psalms gives us language that says, help me. We can find in the Psalms places to say amen. Lord, I'm sick. I need your salvation. Save me. We can say amen. Then there's those moments where we're just wrecked and stressed and we find, Lord, you are my shepherd. What should I want? You lead me beside still waters and give me rest. The Psalms show us how God's people talk to God for centuries. So in that sense, the Psalms, we can learn how to talk in a real way to God, to lay it all out before him, right? Good, bad, and ugly. Help me, help me, help me. Or like we've talked about tonight, thank you, thank you, thank you. The Psalms are those places where we can really just say, yes, that's what I want to say to God. How many of you think about your favorite song? Do you have a favorite song or two or three or four? Yeah? Think about that song, okay? This is a crowd participation. Now everyone sing it at the exact same time. And I'm just kidding. Think about your favorite song. Why is it that you love that song so much? Are you the type of person that just because it's got a killer guitar solo or a cool drum beat that that's it and you dig it? Or I'd venture to guess that your favorite songs, your most favorite song, really it's about that's what I've always wanted to say, but they got it right. You know what I mean? 
that favorite song of yours is that sense of, they gave me the words that I wanted to say. I think about one of my favorite songs, Blackbird by the Beatles. Now, there's a lot of stories that surround why Paul wrote it, but really, uh, for me, none of those stories really matter because when I had two little baby girls and I'd walk in and say goodnight to them and I'd pray and I'd sing to them, it just felt right to sing in the dead of night as I laid them down to sleep to talk about and dream about and pray about these baby girls laying down in their crib, usually screaming, but on those nights where they weren't screaming, it was even sweeter to say, take these wings and learn to fly. Take these eyes and learn to see. It was this sense that that song gave me a word to say over my little girls. The Psalms are like that. We can learn in that real language to say, yes, I, amen, I get it. We've sung a few hymns tonight that have probably been sung in this place for five decades. And a lot of those songs, like for me, Be Thou My Vision, is less a hymn and something to sing. It's become words for a prayer of mine when I'm driving down the road or when I'm in places where I feel lost. I say, Be Thou My Vision, Lord of my heart. Not be all else to me, save that thou art. Hey, Tyler, how you doing, bro? Welcome to Freeman Heights, man. Those words become words that I've always wanted to say and didn't have them until I sung them or prayed them. The Psalms are like that. They gave God's people, Israel, words to pray and words to say or sing. You with me? It's here in the Psalms that we can find those words that say deep in our hearts, yes, that's what I want to say to God. You with me? That's how I pray many times for you. And that's how many times I come across a psalm like Psalm 126, which we're looking at tonight, where I say, yes, that's what I want to say to God because it fits where we are as a church. Or it fits where I am in this life. The psalms can do that. The psalms say, amen, that's what I want to say to God. And we borrow on these words and we pray them back, and Psalm 126 is that amen, I think, for this moment in our lives as a church together. So I want to look at these two movements, these two sections of this song, this psalm of ascents, and I want to draw at least two reminders for us as we enter from one place in one chapter of our church's history, a transitional chapter, and as we enter in into a new chapter in this church's history, I want to look at this psalm. First, you see at the very beginning in your Bible, does it say a song of ascents? Does yours say that? You're all nodding because you're looking on the screen and it says a song of ascents. Some of you in your Bible, if you have something a little more like um, earthy language, like a common English Bible, it says a pilgrim song. And that's a really great translation of like the heading or the subscript of that because these were songs that were used on the road. On the road, on a journey. And where were they journeying but to the place where God dwelt, which was God's temple. We're all pilgrims. We're all in this journey together. And this psalm is a psalm for the journey to the place where God dwells. 
But more than that, as we look in these first verses, we see a clue that it's not just a song that people sung or said amen when they're on their way to go worship God at the temple. We find these clues that it really feels like a song that they said on the road back home from a place of exile and despair and brokenness. And if you don't believe me, let's look here, verse 1. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter. Our tongues were filled with joy. We begin to see a clue here of a people who had nothing or had been in a place of brokenness. And we see that clue because they start their song of ascents, their pilgrim song, by saying, the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, which means that there was a time when they didn't have those. There was a time when they were far from God's house in Zion. There was a time when they did not have those fortunes in God's house in Zion. But now they're able to look back and say, God restored us. When God restored us, how did they feel? It says, we were like those who dreamed. That's a way of saying, could this really be true? Could God really have brought us back? Could God really have restored our fortunes? We were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter. Our tongues with songs of joy. We find these pilgrims on the road in a place where they're laughing and their tongues are filled with songs of joy. It's not a dirge for a funeral. There are songs that are pouring out of them that are songs of joy and songs of praise. And evidently, those around them heard the songs of joy because the psalmist writes, it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. Now, the clues that I've alluded to as to when they were saying this on the road, this psalm seems to fit very carefully, very, uh, um, not carefully, uh, it seems to really fit with the time when Israel had gone into exile. They had been set before them a choice to follow God as his covenant people and find life or to choose the ways of other nations and find death. And what happened was for centuries, God's people Israel found routinely, even if they would choose life and follow him and find blessing, many times, many more times they would choose death. Many more times they would choose to not follow him in his way. And what would happen is God would say, please come back to me. He would send prophets and say, return to God, please choose life again. But they would persist and they'd choose death. And they would choose the ways of other nations and other gods. And then more prophets would come and say, no, seriously, return to God. Or you will be at the hands of ruthless and violent nations. And they will come because God will remove that protection, remove that covenant blessing, and you will be swept away with these violent empires that will seek your life and to destroy you as a nation. 
So the prophets would come and Israel more often than not would continue to resist God and reject his way until finally Babylon, the great superpower of the time of Israel, came in and they swept through Israel in the 6th century, in the 500s, and they destroyed the temple, they destroyed Israel, and they sent them carted off in chains back to their place, Babylon, far from God's house, Zion. They killed their women, they killed their children, they killed their fighting men, and those who they left to do their work and to make bricks and to do these things that um, empires do with enslaved nations, they carted them off and they left their home in rubble. They took their fortunes, they took every bit of what made them blessed, and they took everything that made them a nation, and they carted them off to a foreign land. And this persisted for many years, and it was with a heavy heart that God allowed this to happen, but it came back to their initial covenant promise. And you see it in places like Deuteronomy 31, where he kept saying, choose life, choose life, but if you choose death, you're going to be carted off and enslaved. You won't be my people. You will be someone else's people. But then along that time, while they were in Babylon, there began to be these songs that were, through mourning and tears, this hope that God would someday bring them back. And the truth is, is that God relented, that judgment was relieved when they returned and found themselves on their way back to rebuild Israel. You with me? That's what makes sense of those books called Ezra and Nehemiah. That was the record of people who are coming back from what was called the exile, coming back from that place of Babylon. When a new empire came and swept Babylon, Israel, God's people, got sent back on the road, their fortunes were restored, and they were allowed to rebuild their home again. You with me? So this psalm, I think, fits in that kind of rehearsal of history that says there was a moment when all hope seemed lost, when all the nations were laughing at us, but when God brought us back from a place of exile and barrenness, he brought us back into a place of life, and even the nations around us who had been laughing had to look and come back and say, the Lord has done great things for them. Because Israel had come to a place where everyone saw them carted off, slaves of Babylon, slaves of an empire, and they said, there is no way that this nation will ever bounce back. You may have been in a place where you have felt so isolated from your home, so isolated from your community, and you may believe the lies that other people are telling you, and that is that there is no way you can bounce back. You may have walked with someone in the throes and shackles of addiction, and you look at them and you say, surely this is a lost cause. I can pray to God, but really, I'm certain that this addiction will have its way. And if I'm really honest in my heart of hearts, God, unless you do something really powerful and incredible, I don't think you'll be able to have your way. They look at this as a hopeless situation. You can imagine, as Israel is carted off far from home, surely they thought it was a lost cause. But the good news is there are no lost causes in the kingdom of God. And so here we have a people who are far from home, and God has brought them back. And the nations say, this is incredible. Who would have ever thought this possible? Who ever comes back from such 
terrible defeat, such terrible destruction. Their bank account has been zeroed out. Their checking account has been closed. Their house has been foreclosed. They are long gone. Surely the Lord has done great things because nobody can come back from what Israel came back from. Have there been moments in your life when God does break through to those lost causes and you say, surely God has done a great thing because this seemed like a lost cause. Surely God has restored us because they couldn't have done it on their own. Surely God has brought us to this place. That is what Israel echoes when the nations say God has done a great miracle, an astounding thing for them. The psalmist answers back in verse 3, the Lord has done great things for us and we are filled with joy. We are filled with joy. You see, they were a people who knew great sorrow. But when God acted, they weren't afraid to know great joy. Joy is a characteristic of our journey. Joy was a characteristic of the journey back home. Joy is a fruit of our life in the Spirit. Don't fake joy. But when God breaks in, do allow it to turn your mourning into songs of joy. In verse 3, we had a people who were beaten down and broken down, and they were able to say, yes, the Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. Their mouths were filled with laughter, their tongues with songs of joy. And so our reminder in this first section, as they rehearse the joy of the God who has brought them back, we rehearse the history of a people who were once marching in the chains on the way to Babylon. Now they're leaping back to God's house with songs on their lips. So providence, it's okay to be okay sometimes. It's okay to say God has brought us to a place where he is still with us, we are still with one another, and we have a new day and a new life and a new lease on what it means to be God's people together, to believe together, to belong together, and to bless together. So the reminder here is let yourself rejoice in what God has done. Don't explain it away. Say, surely God has done great things. Don't fake it either. If you're in a place where you're still mourning, the next section is for you. If you're in a place where joy is not part of your journey, the next section is for you. The initial return from Babylon gave us the necessities. It gave them a a land. They still had to work to repair the temple. They had to work to repair the walls to fortify the city. That's what all of Ezra and Nehemiah is about. But then this second stage of this psalm, this joy song, this pilgrim song, we see that there is still more healing to be done. God, thank you for the bare essentials. You've restored our fortunes, but I think there's still some more healing to be had. We're going to see two powerful images in this song, and we're going to see both of them as places of barrenness where God is asked to breathe life into again. Let's look at it in verses 4 to 6. He's going to echo that first verse in the second part. Look, the first verse he said what? 
when the Lord restored our fortunes, right? Well, he's going to ask for him to do it again. Look here in verse 4. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like the streams in the Negev. Maybe your Bible says Negev with a B. It's the same place. And what is that place? It's a place of barrenness. It's a wilderness. It's a desert. And so it's weird that this guy who sung this pilgrim song would say streams in the Negev. Because any day of the week, the Negev was an arid, dry, and dusty place, and the only streams you would see were bone-dry crevices in the rock that were worked out by wind and erosion, and it was just this barren wasteland that you'd see in some planet in Star Wars or something where you'd say, man, I would not want to live there. It's probably where those goofy guys that talk funny in one of them. Now, I don't know Star Wars. I'm, I'm, out of, I'm out of my depth here. Let's talk about the Negev instead of Star Wars. It's one of those unhospitable, uninhabitable places. And we see these cracks in the, in the crust that, that speak of there is life at here at one point, but it's well moved past. And so what the psalmist says is restore our fortunes like streams in the Negev, because what this guy knows is that even in the most dry and dusty places like the Negev, water still floods once in a while. And in the Negev, there is a one period in the year where there's a rain season that sweeps through and it so fills those dry and dusty cracks where all of a sudden, for a brief period, the ancients saw it as a miracle. It began to be filled with green and lush growth once again. So for 360 days of the year, it's dry and dusty, but for those five, it reminds us that we're alive again. Even if you're in a place, like we talked about earlier, where you can't be joyful, perhaps you can say amen to the psalmist where he says, restore me because I'm feeling like the Negev. I need a drink of water that will bring life into my bones again. A few weeks back, I brought a cup and a pitcher, and I said, this is you as a cup, and this pitcher that's full of water is all that God wants to pour into your life. So are we glass half full people? Are we glass half empty people? Are you a bone dry person? And the question is, how full are you? Are you like the dusty roads in the Negev? I say to you, pray for the streams to come back. Place yourself as dusty and broke down as you are. Learn from the psalmist and say amen to his words and say, restore me. I need a water transfusion. Hook me up. Fill me again. Where there is barrenness, may there be life. Restore our fortunes. There's this complete reversal, and we see that with the stream of Negev, and there's a second image I told you about that's another complete reversal, and that is here. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. So just like the desert was filled with new life and water, those who go to that place and sowing into the ground, watering the land with their tears, what they will get back is songs of joy. I think about the kind of funeral dirge songs. How many of you have been to funerals where the kinds of songs they sing are more about the wailing kind? It kind of makes a sad moment even sadder. Because there are dirges to be sung. 
But then how many of you have been to the kind of funeral for those who you know is in the presence of the Lord? And it's like they call it even a celebration of his life. There is no funeral dirge here, especially in Baptist churches that I grew up in. It's big anthems like, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. There are the kinds of songs here where even though we grieve, even though we sow with tears, God catches the tears and gives us back what we've lost. Even in death, even in barrenness, even in brokenness, those who sow with tears will reap someday with songs of joy. And furthermore, he carries out that farming image and he says, those who watch go out weeping, carrying seeds to sow. Imagine the farmer thinking about how terrible their life is. Is anything going to happen? Is there going to be any life in this place? They go out weeping, carrying the seeds. They watch come back. They return with songs of joy. They go out singing a dirge and they come back praising and leaping with joy and they're carrying sheaves with them. Is the landscape of your heart like that desert? Is the song in your mouth a dirge at this moment? I'm telling you to hold on, to continue on the journey and let God surprise you. And if you're in a place where you are hurting if you're in a place where you are not immune from the tears, know that God will not spare you from every pain there is in this life because his son Jesus went to the cross and it was painful. But know that just as Jesus sowed with tears and sowed his body into the ground, God raised him victoriously on the third day. What was sown in death was brought up in newness of life. And the same will be for our tears. The same will be for those moments that we grieve. And we need to get it out. And we need to allow ourselves to grieve so that he can bring us back. See, many times we try to eliminate joy or pain. When we're going out and we're weeping or we're going out and we're sowing tears, that's when the, we're tempted to medicate. And I'm not just talking about drugs or alcohol here. I'm talking about media. I'm talking about, I just want to zone out because I've been frustrated today. I've been angry today. And rather than process it, what we like to do, tell me I'm right, this is what I like to do, is just zone out. When there is an uncomfortable situation that comes my way, a family situation that seems like a lost cause, a job situation that seems like a lost cause, it is better to avoid it completely or eliminate it completely than to actually deal with it. We try to eliminate the pain. We try to avoid the pain. We try to medicate. We try to distance from others. We try to watch, even avoid risk because risk is painful. But what happens when we do that is we're not allowing God to surprise us and restore us with fantastic kingdom work, kingdom life. When we try to avoid that pain and we try to medicate we're not being whole people. We're not being true to the Psalms and saying amen to the real gritty language of help me, help me, help me. 
If we avoid pain altogether, we're never in a place, watch, where we can say, help me. And we won't allow God to do the work he wants to do. Think about every person that Jesus encountered. Every sick person. Could the kingdom have come and reversed their sickness and illness if they had not come pleading to him? Don't run from your brokenness and pain and grief. We've been a church that has had to grieve, right? We've had to grieve. If we had just completely avoided it, we would have never run to the Lord and said, heal us, help us, guide us. Just like the leper, had we not recognized how wrong we had it, we would not have run to Jesus saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me, a sinner. Don't run from your brokenness. Run to the Savior with your brokenness and find him replacing your tears with songs of joy. Find him replacing your weeping with songs of joy. Find him filling your hands and your heart and your life like the streams of the desert and like the barren land. We see barrenness swallowed up in life when we come to him and grieve to him and say amen to these kinds of songs and remember that God works in the desert place. So the first half of this psalm was this joy in looking back in history. And the reminder is, it's okay to be okay. And then the second one, this second section, are these images of desert and life. These images of barrenness now springing forth with life. The reminder here is, don't run from that grief and brokenness. Allow yourself to feel it. Don't run from the brokenness, but run to the Savior with your brokenness and watch Him restore it. We've been a church that for six months has been in a period where many of us have gone out weeping. Many of us have literally gone out from our church and our family weeping. We saw about 130 adults, 120 adults, whittle down in about, I don't know, 10 months to maybe 70 or so. We've, seen, we've said goodbye to about a third of our people. And we've had to grieve them. We've had to grieve the, the two founding pastors of this church going on to new seasons of life and ministry. And we, and we bless them, and we send them, and we continue to love them, but it's okay to grieve that they are not with us. What's not okay is to pretend like things aren't different. What's not okay is to pretend that that we're not entering into a new season of this church. And it's not just because we're worshiping in a new building. We will survive and continue to be God's people together to the degree that we don't run from all these things that have defined us, this transition that we think defined us. We need to let Jesus define us and run to him with our hurts and our hangups and our brokenness. And it's in those places where we say, individually, I'm dried up. I feel like I've actually cried all my tears. At least recognize that because God can work with that. As a church, say, things are different. We've said goodbye to a lot of people we love, but God can work with that. 
And I see a church that is here to bring a harvest. I see a church that has been in some wilderness places, but God keeps bringing us home. I see a church that at the end of last year, with 70-some adults, in four weeks, in the midst of this grief and transition, raised $25,003.64 because we were stupid enough to say, let's raise $25,000 when we're hemorrhaging money and people. And we see, for a moment, the streams in the wilderness spring forth with life. Rehearse that. Remember that. That though we're a people who've been in the wilderness, God keeps bringing us home. You are a people who've sown in tears. But remember that God keeps giving us new songs to sing. Remember that there are going to be new songs to sing in this place and under this roof with more and more people. Would the harvest be when we return to this place and enter into a new chapter of our church that we would bring about a harvest where the naked are clothed, the hungry are filled, and those who are lost find their home in God, in Christ Jesus. Do we have a harvest to walk with Freeman Heights, to walk with the people in Garland because it's the center place for where all of you folks live? Do you see a people who have wept but who are ready to come home with armfuls of God's blessing that he has for us? Are you ready to walk back into this place with open hands, not your hands crossed because you're still in a place of frustration and grief? Allow yourself to grieve so you can open up your hands to carry all the good that God has for us. Know that God has broke down every barrier That God in Christ is reconciling the world to himself, not counting the sins against them. We, therefore, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, have been given the ministry of reconciliation to go here, there, 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 and say, come on home, the water's fine, and to bring in a harvest of joy, being and bringing good news. Because last week we said a church is only as good as her disciples, right? And a disciple is only as good as his or her love for God and others. But a church must be ready to bring in a harvest and inviting many, many more to love God, to love neighbor with all their hearts and minds. We need to be a church in this season that is ready to reap songs of joy and to ask him to restore us again. You with me? All right. Let us pray. Let us sing. Let us come to the table. Thanks for allowing me to riff on that for a little bit. I've had some days off, and I didn't want to over-prepare and over-preach this. I just wanted to kind of reflect on this with you. But I really think that it is a psalm that I can say amen to. Yes, that's what I want to say to God. Just like those favorite songs of ours, would we sing a new song of joy and say it right back to the Lord as a prayer of thanksgiving. Let's pray. Father, thank you for never leaving us or forsaking us. Thank you for the love that endures through all generations and ages. Thank you again for those churches that have been a part of our past, Highland Oaks, Thank you for Spring Creek. And thank you, Lord, for this new season and new chapter in our church. 
at Freeman Heights. We thank you for new leaders sprouting up. We thank you for the faithful people who are journeying with us. We pray that we would all walk out into this community with open arms to welcome and embrace and to carry back sheaves of joy and good things that you would have for us. Would we be a people who are not shut off from joy, not shut off from grief, but would we in each season come to you where we are as who we are and find that you never run out of what we need in that moment. So Lord, as we come to the table, you will find some of us with laughter in our mouths and you will find some of us with tears to shed. But in each state, we know that you are with us. So meet us in the body and the blood of the Lamb who is shed for us, uniting us not only to one another in your church, but to all those across this nation and world who are united to King Jesus by your Holy Spirit. So please, God, guide us in this season ahead. Guide us and help us to be more like Jesus, to love you with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love our new neighbors as ourselves. Bless us, keep us. In Jesus' name, amen.